Well, hope everyone enjoyed the long weekend. Of course, market was closed yesterday, but we're back today. Happy Tuesday. Got a lot of big headlines this morning. Of course, Discover, Capital One, some chip stocks taking a hit. We'll be on with Scott Redler at 835 Eastern from T3 Trading. So make sure to stay tuned. Little treat for you guys today. Let's go ahead and uh, and see what this new intro is all about. Welcome to Benzinga's pre-market prep. This is a volatile puppy here. It's all about execution styles and strategies. All right, let us know what you guys think on that. Still, uh, you know, not final. We can always change some things. Let's see how the market's doing this morning. Spy trading down a little bit. Let's go over the cues. Last I saw, tech was getting hit a little bit harder, down about uh, four-tenths of a percent. The Dow Industrial Average down as well. Bitcoin, crypto also. Ooh, Bitcoin actually up above. Is that right? 52,000. Wow. All right, let's bring on my man, Dennis. Dennis, how are we doing this morning? Oh. oh. Oh, no. All right. My hands are off. You do it. You do it. You know what's happening? We both have the power, and we're both trying to add me to the stage at the same time, and then I'm add, remove, add, remove, add, remove. <laughs> it was like when, you know, you're walking, you know, against somebody in traffic you or in the mall, the and you like, yeah. go this way, and you both go this way, and you both go this way. That's what just happened here live. Never give me the power, Aaron. He gave me the power to put myself in or take no, myself we, out, and well, this is what happens. I need to That's just take I, a back seat and all this stuff. Just talk stocks and don't control anything else. <laughs> That's what happens after the long weekend, too. It's like one extra day off, and then all of a sudden we forget how to do everything. But, of course, uh, Joel will be out for a couple days, so you're stuck with Dennis and I. But, again, we'll have Scott's expertise coming to join us at 835. Uh, I mean, first things first, Dennis, I think we got to talk about this Capital One uh, Discover deal. Yeah, this is the big deal of the morning here. It was announced last night, rumored on, I think, Sunday, and then the official announcement came yesterday here. Give us the details here, Aaron. I'm not sure if you had a chance to find the ratio, too. I thought I saw about 1.05, but give us the details. Uh, I'm not sure on the exact ratio. So basically, Capital One is discover or acquiring, discovering, discover, acquiring, discover in a deal worth 35 a billion dollars capital one shareholders will own 60 percent of the newly merged company while discover shareholders will own 40 percent uh i mean of course these, these are just two of the leading credit card companies in the country now merging to make one as you can see here discover shares are up uh 18 percent this morning looks like they're a little volatile right here let's go check in on capital one a lot of times um the COF. Yeah, a lot of times the company that's doing the acquiring. Okay, we're getting some. This, these are like the eight o'clock prints that are all over the place. Dennis, don't worry about those. Um, so you know, it, a lot of times the Capital company, One is one thirty-two right now. Ignore the one forty-one. Ignore the one forty-four fifty-two. It's Finra just spraying out all its crap because again, we don't know what this stuff is. We have this conversation on the show once a month. Regulators, please fix the Finra tape. We need to know what this stuff is. Not every off-exchange trade, 50% of trades is FINRA. Throw it into one bucket. Let's divide that bucket up a little bit more. That would be, you know, um, a better thing to do. And then we'd understand what some of this stuff is. But, you know, right now we're just seeing a bunch of FINRA crap hit the tape and it's not real. I could tell you from bid offer, 132 bid, Capital One Financial, 
133.30, and there have been no trades on the exchange. It was just one at 132 and a quarter. So that's a real trade. That was an odd lot. Got it. Well, either way, I mean, you, you see this a lot, Dennis, and maybe we can talk about this, why, uh, you know, the company that's doing the acquiring, I don't know if it if it's an all cash deal, if Capital One is using shares, um, but, you know, a lot of times the company that's doing the acquiring will actually be trading down on the news, yeah. even, even if, you know, analysts and investors think it'll be good for the company long term, which I'm not sure, you know, exactly what this means for Capital One long term. But why is that? Why do these stocks get hit? When it's the risk arbitrage to it here. And and if you want to talk the fundamentals, it's because they're paying a premium. So they're going out here paying, I believe, a 27% premium to the closing price. Um, and, you know, that money's got to come from somewhere. So there's synergies here that will help with that. And I'm sure I like the synergies of this deal as well. But typically, the acquirer, especially when you've got an all-stock deal, and this is an all-stock deal, so no cash involved. I did find the ratio for you. It's 1.0192, so virtually one. So basically, Discover is going to get about one share of Capital One uh, for every share of DFS. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why is you know Discover not up more? It was supposed to be a 27% premium. That is because it's an all-stock deal and COF bringing it down, which will answer your question. What the risk arbs do, sometimes they don't want to bring the price all the way up. So they bring the acquirer down. So, you know, if you've got a takeover and the two stocks are here and it's supposed to be up here, sometimes they'll bring it down here so it's not quite up that high. So it's all in the risk arbitrage for the most part. Um, Capital One is trading down, which you would expect. It was trading up on IB last night and somebody was saying on Robinhood it was trading up as well, which is interesting in itself. Um, I guess Robinhood has an after hours. Like IBKR has an after hours overnight session starts 8 o'clock. Um, and it was trading up a little bit on that light volume. And I was like, that's kind of, I tweeted it out as well. And I didn't think that it would stay up there. And it has pulled back, obviously, significantly, which you'd expect. So sometimes, you know, funny things happen when the markets are thin. But it's trading down here now. COF um, versus uh, versus DFS. So if you want, I'll give you that ratio once again, 1.0192 for you risk arbitrators out there. After today, basically, Discover will just follow Capital One pretty much you know like with a, it goes up a buck goes up a buck i mean 1.01 is virtually one so that's what you want to know if you're going to trade these two instruments but remember it's still adjustments here risk arbs are just you know adjusting it there's risk that the deal doesn't go through yeah i mean two, two of the top five credit card companies in the country there of course there's going to be a risk that antitrust for sure you know yeah, yeah. so so Trust's i can look at this I would not uh, say it would be a for sure thing on uh, the Discover, but I mean, hey, Discover shares getting that nice pop this morning. Uh, moving over to, and we'll keep watching that trade to see how Discover and Capital One. Yeah, are trading and, and before we leave, there is obviously some you know stocks to think about here. Um, I'm surprised SoFi not getting more of a lift. I did buy some SoFi. I kind of thought that it might get a lift, but it hasn't yet. So that was a short-term trade. I just thought that SoFi might start to get a lift. It was trading down. I bought it. I bought a little bit. Um, Just because know, it could also be a, a takeout target. Well, it's kind of, it's it's a reach a little bit, but it's a smaller player in the industry, and I just think like you're seeing some mergers and acquisitions. People have rumored on SoFi before, so um, I just bought a small piece. I don't know if I'm going to hold on to it. I'm probably in, see if it can get a lift here this morning. If not, I'll probably get rid of it. I'm surprised it didn't get a lift, but it's not getting a lift so far. But just keep your eye on SoFi if you are trading it. Also, and a, a full disclosure, I am long. Visa and MasterCard both getting hit on this. Not too bad, but actually MasterCard significantly here. Don't look at the last on MasterCard because, again, that's a bad fin 
print. MasterCard's actually down 15 points here. So, you know, maybe it's competition here. You get two big players, Discover Capital One coming in. Uh, MasterCard down 15. Visa also trading down five points here in the pre-market. American Express kind of just muted response, only down a buck and a half, so not quite as bad. But these are the other players in the industry. And, you know, when you get the big two merging like that, they're going to be a big player as well. So it's not surprising it puts some pressure on a stock like MasterCard. Yeah, I mean, to your point about SoFi, I think you see that a lot in different spaces where if maybe some companies have been contemplating an acquisition and then all of a sudden another one happens in the space, they're like, all right, yeah, let's go ahead and do that because they don't want to, you know, miss the boat and, and and have someone else acquire the company they were I mean, SoFi at. is such a small player too, Aaron. I mean, you're talking about a drop in the bucket for anybody. Now, again, they have a lot of debt, so, you know, maybe companies don't want to take on their debt, but if we just go to our trusty Benzinga Pro and look Eight. at the SoFi details, you can get all that information. The the you know the market cap on this thing is only eight billion dollars. So it's a really small company. But again, the PE is one hundred and fifty one. I mean, it's not making money. Or if it did, it was making a penny or two. So it's not like it's just printing money. Yeah, if the company came in to buy them, it would be just because they want to get the client base. Long term debt here is a five point seven billion too. So it's a little bit of a pill for somebody to swallow. But just on a day like this, you'd think it would start you know the speculative bubble on that a little bit more. So I'm actually surprised it's not trading higher. Well, yeah, like I said, we're going to continue to watch Capital One and Discover while we're talking about acquisitions. You know who uh, you know who else announced an acquisition this morning? Who's that? Walmart said it's going to oh, they did. I saw that. acquire Vizio, the TV maker. Let's take a look at some of these numbers from Walmart. Again, this is going to all be from Benzinga Pro. Uh, non-gap EPS of a buck eighty beats by fifteen cents. Revenue of one hundred and seventy-three billion. Revenue of one hundred and seventy-three billion. That's a lot, Dennis. Beats by four billion. Uh, no, they do not. Stock is trading a little bit higher this morning, up about three percent pre-market. Assuming that tape is good now. Um, I mean, Dennis, have you? Uh, do you, you guys have WalMarts up in Canada? I assume. Right? Oh yeah, everybody. The WalMarts just everywhere, and it's the place you go. Even in the small town that I'm in, is a WalMart. So every town that's got thirty thousand people got a WalMart now. So there's no markets that are untapped, and that's where everybody goes. I mean, you know, people go. You know, it's cheaper stuff. That's where you know the discount merchants. Um, it's you know. <laughs> Walmart's just everywhere, so it's not surprising the revenues there. There is a, a, too when the economy starts to slow. I often think about the trade down effects, you know, where you see a Walmart or even a Dollar Tree, you know, sometimes you know get more of a lift from a slower economy. We haven't really seen a slower economy though, so maybe that's not there. But Walmart keeps us humming along here, stock trading at all time highs. It's just been an unbelievable performer for a very long time. Yeah, and one thing that I actually think is kind of an underreported story with Walmart right now is what it's trying to do with its like app and technology. It's trying to take on kind of Amazon in a way with grocery delivery and all this. And I wonder, like, you know, it's probably not the biggest vertical uh, or money driver for Walmart right now, but I wonder over time if that can be a big player. And of course, this Vizio acquisition. So Vizio is the is a company that makes. Um, it, you know, the, the technology behind TVs, it's almost, yeah. you know, you can do like smart TVs on Vizio TVs and they're from what I can tell, just trying to keep the profits from these electronics in house and own this technology. So they don't have to, you know, buy Vizio things and then resell them. They can just do it all in house. So that could be a big player for Walmart too, in the long run. I mean, do you like that move coming from that? They announced it kind of makes sense. And this was actually, there was rumors here last week. So if you go to your pro February 13th, shares of TV maker Vizio were surging on 25% on a report that Walmart may buy it. 
Well, that Walmart, and that was actually, I believe, from the Wall Street Journal. And the Wall Street yep. Journal came out with that rumor, so we'll give them some props because here it is a week later, and that rumor actually does materialize here. So VZIO, which was about $7.50 when Wall Street, uh, when the Wall Street Journal broke that rumor, popped to 11 and a half that day. And then it came back down, obviously, as you know, we didn't see anything, you know, materialize for the next few days. But, you know, here it is, $11. So we have the pre- $11.50, $11.50 per share in cash. So it's, you know, just discounted slightly, time value of money. And again, you know, risk that deals don't go through. I don't see really any antitrust issues here whatsoever. Yeah, it's a $2 so it might be more time value of money than anything. I mean, two years ago, we didn't have to consider time value of money because time value of money was very low. But now when you're getting five, six percent, you know, sitting in, you know, five percent sitting in treasuries. I mean, there is a significant time value of money and an opportunity cost for money just sitting waiting for these deals. So we don't know how long the deal will take to go through. Typically, even takes six months to a year. So you're sitting there. So that's why it's not up at 1150 if you're wondering why VZIO is not trading higher. And I mean, so we had to wait a week for that rumor to materialize and become, you know, a real story. Last night, the rumor on Discovery Capital One was a rumor for all of like five minutes. And then the, and then the real story <laughs> Uh, it was like, oh, this is rumored. Nothing's final yet. And the next thing you know, the headline is, oh, nope, it, it happened. Uh, all right, let's move over to Home Depot. Also reported earnings this morning. Uh, let me go ahead and get those yep. numbers up for you. EPS, 2 bucks and 82 cents beat $2.77 estimate sales. $34.79 billion beat the $34.64 billion estimate. Uh, divid, hikes dividend to 7.7% to $2.25 uh, share. Uh, I, I, let's see. Okay, so comparable. Great here. Yeah, it fa- falls after U.S. comparable sales growth disappoints. So I guess the sales growth just wasn't there. Even though the top line numbers were good, the yeah. dividend, yes, you know, investors like the dividend raise and all this, but the numbers just weren't great. And I guess the outlook wasn't great for uh, for Home Depot either, trading down about 2% this morning. The comps were down 3.5% and the U.S. comps were down 4%. One consideration, I didn't dive into the details and read this, is that we have saw some disinflation. We've actually saw prices go down on things like lumber. And I wonder if, you know, you're comparing year over year, because I just know, you know, I was doing a lot of building. I built a house and then I built my shop. And I know from the time I built my house to the time that I built my shop, lumber costs come down so much. So, and I know it's still fairly cheap. Lumber's come down significantly here too. So I wonder if there's not a little bit of that in there where you're seeing the U.S. comps down, but lumber is down significantly from where it was. So curious about that. If somebody digs into the report uh, more, they could let me know. Um, I'm probably going to do other things. Yeah, and, and, while and, on it here. And we, you know, we've talked about how the economy really from an overall standpoint hasn't slowed down much with the higher interest rates, but we have talked about how big ticket items, you know, people might be kind of pushing off right now, whether that be buying a new car or renovating your house. So maybe there's a lot of people who, you know, have, have different renovations or things they want to be doing on their house that now with the higher interest rates, maybe they're just a slightly tad bit tighter to where they want to push that off. I mean, when COVID hit Dennis and money was free, People were every, everyone. Well, and you also weren't leaving your house, so you probably yeah. So you were putting money in your house. That was the best of times for Home Depot. Oh yeah, and not to mention, I mean, you're you're sitting around your house and you've been waiting, saying, "Oh, I need to fix. That, I need to fix that." Now all of a sudden, you have to look at it every single day. Okay, fine. Well, yeah. let's go ahead and and do it now. Not to mention that the money was easier to get, and you could, if you needed to get a loan to do it, or if you needed to borrow, you know, whatever. It was a lot easier to do. Um, all right, Dennis, should we transition into some chip stocks? We haven't talked about SMPI yeah. since the big 
bubble pop. Can we call it that? A bubble pop last week? Yeah, it was. It was officially a bubble pop. And you could feel it that morning. I actually tweeted out when the stock was a thousand. So went to so just recap Friday's trading action. Um, it's popped from a thousand to a thousand and seventy-seven dollars. And then you saw this vicious, vicious five minute sell-off that was something you hadn't seen, you know, all the way going up. Not this vicious. So when it got down to about a thousand bucks, I tweeted out it felt like 70 points in about I don't know, three, four minutes. And I'm like, we just caught everyone. I'm like, this is this feels like the bubble popping. I believe I don't remember my exact words in my tweet that was from last Friday, but you could just feel it that this was the turn. And obviously we're gonna have Red Dog on too, correct? Yep, Red Dog. Yeah, at so we're gonna talk about SMCI with Red Dog too, because I believe Red Dog and the T three traders were making some money on the short side on this thing. So we'll talk to them about Oof, that. That's I scary. Wonder, I wonder yeah, but the way we you, you do it as a professional was you could feel it. You could feel that this was the turn. Um and I wonder if they weren't looking at the same thing as me. Like a lot of times when you've been trading for twenty five years is just feel. And we've seen so many bubbles pop in the past that you know you could feel it like and i wanted to get out before that. that's why I, so, I had sold my shares on the thursday and i sold too early i think i got out at like 9 40 or something well, I wanted so, to, yeah i wanted to ask you about that yeah i got out early i missed the last 100 points of it but you could kind of feel like it was getting overextended like i mean it was overextended for a while but you could feel like this is really starting to get overextended here analysts coming and starting to upgrade the stock and i'm like I just, you know, when the analysts start upgrading the stock after this much, it's usually a sign the top's getting close. And that's exactly what's occurred. Um, but just to talk about that trading action, if you show the chart there, it might be more meaningful. Um, actually, I'm not looking. You probably are showing the chart. Um, but if you dive into, like, the Friday action, is diving in a little bit closer. It went down, like, 70 points in about three, four minutes. And I'm like, okay, that that feels like a bubble pop. Well, And okay, then so it just continued. So, so go ahead. You're going to ask a question? So well, I was going to say, so Dennis, you sold Thursday. You were saying you sold too early. The stock went up another 70, 80 points from where points, you sold, really. 100 points yeah. from where you sold it at. Yeah. Once it started moving down, I mean, I know you probably don't like to see anyone losing money, but did you feel at least a little bit better? You're like, thank God. A little more vindicated. Yeah. yeah this didn't, you're like, thank God this didn't run to 1300. And you'd be sitting here being like, oh my God, why'd I, why'd I sell this? Yeah. I mean, and, and obviously, you know, you always, every trader feels that way when you sell something, you want to see it go down. I mean, you want to be right. And I mean, it's not about trading really isn't about being right or wrong. It's about making money. It's your own just personal, like, you like being right. Yeah. You know, you like making good calls. You your like profits, your profit, you already made your profits. Your profits wouldn't have, ch have changed if Nothing. it went from 1300 or to 800 But now you, at least you're like, okay, I made the right call there. And it, and it probably gives you a little bit more confidence going into your next trades. Yeah. And I tweeted, I was just looking at my tweet, I tweeted 9.52 a.m. And the stock price at 9.52 a.m. was approximately, uh, it was approximately a thousand. Well, it was somewhere the bar was so big at 9.52 a.m. It was somewhere between a thousand and six and a thousand and thirty. But I'm pretty sure I saw it getting to the low thousands, and that's when I tweeted. I was like, it just went from ten. There's less seventy points in like three, four minutes. I'm like, this feels like a bubble pop, and that's what I, my exact tweet was. This feels like bubble pop, SMCI, and it actually, and it, and it absolutely was. And I don't wonder. I just wonder the T3 guys. Because, yeah, like I said, they've been, trained, they've been trained a long time, too. They're probably feeling it the same way I was. And then it dropped another 100 points. And then it dropped another 100 points. And then it, and then the after-hour session or extended hour session here at this morning, pre-market session, it was down again. Well, it has popped back here now. We do have a rating. Rosenblatt has come out defending the stock, putting a $1,300 price target on it. Uh, Rosenblatt's known for putting pretty big price targets on stuff. 
Um, and they're, they're, they've made some really good calls in the past. I know some of the guys over at Rosenblatt, great firm. Who was it um, that put out the $1,200 price target on NVIDIA last week? Was it? I don't know. I don't know. And, so, and there's that, more that, NVIDIA price target raises here today, too. So some people I, 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 I at least ahead of the report. I at least respect that, though. Like, if you're going to give bullish bullish coverage on a stock, give me, like, a big price. You know, NVIDIA to 1,200 from here is still, like, a 50% increase or whatever it is. I hate it when analysts come out and they'll give a price target, like, you know, five bucks above the thing, and you're just like, okay, well, thanks. That, the, that doesn't really help a lot. Um, well, even the Bank America upgrade was kind of laughable. The stock's going up 100 points a day, and, you know, it's 9 70 it closes that and then they put the or 940 or wherever it closed at that day maybe it was 8 899 they put the 1040 price target on i mean it's going up a hundred dollars a day on it nothing and then you come up with a 12-month price target 100 points above with a you know you're telling me to go chase this thing for the last hundred points i mean and it worked out i mean i've never seen a rating so give the guys some props or girls some props i don't know who was who it was that did that but, you know, because it, it hit their price target and then it just collapsed after that. So you give them some props there. But those are typically 12 month price targets, not 12 hour price targets. So it is kind of funny, you know, when they come out and they put a, uh, you know, when the stock's moving 100 points a day and they come out with a 12 month price target 100 points higher. So, you know, if you come out with a big price target, Rosenblatt coming out with a big one here today, a little more like, OK, well, if I'm buying at 800, it's going to 13. Well, there's some meat on the bone there. I don't think the SMCI, so just talk about it, you know, from a fundamental, I don't think the story is over here. I was just going to say that. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I don't think it's over. Like in some cases, the bubbles pop and that's the high, you know, the GameStop, the AMC bubbles popped and that was the high and never to be revisited. I don't feel like this is the case with this stock. I feel like there's still the AI story here and I feel like there's going to be another buying opportunity. I don't want to come in on day one. We'll talk to Scott about this too, you know, because I don't want to try to be a hero and get caught. Uh, but if we can get some consolidation, you know, and start to show a little bit of hook, a little bit of strength again, I'm not against re-entering this thing. I'm not re-entering today, but I'm going to keep it on the watch list here. I think there's still going to be some money made on this thing. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that last week, just that these crazy rallies, not all of them are created equal. And the SMCI one felt a little bit more fundamentally based. You know, obviously got a little bit of carry, carried away there toward the end. But for the, you know, there was actually good reason why this ran this much as as opposed to some of the other stocks we've seen in the last five years make crazy runs like this. So if you love the story on SMCI, you know, that hasn't changed. Um, but it's just, you know, sometimes things just get a little too overextended. Things move too fast, uh, or too high, too quick. And then you, you know, so there's a big drop on Friday, but again, that doesn't change anything for the company long-term. We're going to continue watching this stock, uh, see how it plays out the rest of the week, staying in the chip space, yeah. uh, global foundries, an American chip manufacturer got a big check from the government, $1.5 billion. Let's go to our Benzinga pro and get, uh, some more details here. Global Foundries to scoop one and a half billion dollars in Chips Act grants. Um, I mean, the stock trading up seven percent this morning. Intel moving on the news as well. I was looking yep. at the at the chart for this, uh, Dennis, and we're just looking at a daily here going back. Looks like this thing has been publicly traded since 2021. We're only nine percent off the uh, or nine percent higher than it was when the company went public. So you haven't seen this stock really run like basically every no. other semi stock out there. And no. it seems like the, the the companies that are actually doing the assembling and the manufacturing and haven't gotten as much love as the companies that are, you know, designing the technology like NVIDIA and AMD. Um, but I mean, it, it, again, it's like a rising tide lifts all boats. You'd think this thing would be trading a little bit higher. Now it's getting the pop on the deal, but it hadn't 
again, ran like all the other yeah. semi stocks into this. And it may be valuation. It's not as cheap as some of the other ones because, you know, you've seen a lot of PEs in the lower 20s from some of the chips. Some are even in the teens. It's a cyclical business as well. Uh, the forward P on this thing is 30. So it's not exactly cheap. I mean, you're paying a forward P on NVIDIA of 36 to 37. So, I mean, you know, you're you're paying a premium to NVIDIA, but NVIDIA is obviously right in the middle of everything. So pole position, you know, is NVIDIA here. So 29 billion market cap, not a huge company here. Could it start to get some love from this? I don't like chasing things. I'm just not, it's not in me. This has been a stock that, you, to your point, has been in consolidation for the better part of since it's come public, really, really between 50 and 70 here. It gets up in the mid 60s, seems to find sellers, gets down in the lower 50s, seems to find buyers. Um, would I be a buyer on a pullback? Maybe, but I, like I said, valuation isn't extremely cheap here. Um, the Chips Act stuff is going to help. Intel, we could talk it too, which is a stock that we trade. I trade often. Um, it's one that's just, you know, it had the disappointing earnings here, Aaron. And it's just trying, it's trying, and then it sells off. And it's trying a little bit again, it sells off. I really see need to see Intel get above 45 and hold above 45. It's going to test it again today, but that's the big line in the sand is this $45 level. It's been rejected there twice. Does it get rejected there again? Well, nobody knows the answer to that, but I'm not going to be a hero and buy it at 45 saying this time it's going to go because what if it just gets rejected there once again? So, And then the overall market is a concern a little bit here too. We're starting to show a little bit of weakness Friday, a little bit of overall profit taking even in stocks like NVIDIA have been trading down. So, you know, just maybe a little bit of buyer exhaustion. The market's been straight up here, especially the tech market for a while. QQQs have had a pretty good year. IWM hasn't participated as much, but maybe just a little pause here. And to Ryan Dietrich's point, who we have on the show a lot too, see, from a seasonality perspective, February and March, uh, what Ryan is saying is, you know, seasonally weak times for the market. So uh, it's just not the time to maybe be chasing stocks. Yeah. And I mean, you had that hot PPI number at the end of last week, too. And I think, you know, a lot of people just concerned now that, hey, if inflation's sticking around, that mm. the interest rates really where they've been haven't done anything to slow down the economy, that maybe instead of talking about rate cuts, there could be rate hikes back on the table. I personally don't think so, but I've seen people kind of throwing that out there. Uh, and then again, I mean, the flip side to that is maybe it's not a rate hike, but maybe it's just, hey, those, you know, four to five to six rate cuts that people were talking about at the beginning of the year is going to look more like maybe one or two in the tail end. And then who knows what we're going to get in the interim because uh, again, just all the economic data so far has not really shown signs of a slowdown. Uh, what do you know? And, and, and that's, you know, the major issue here too, is we've talked about the TLT being a leader, you know, leading the IWM. You've saw a little bit of separation here in the last couple of weeks, IWM showing life, TLT still showing no life. So bond traders are not believing in the stock markets rally here, at least not yet. And, you know, that's concerning because they often do lead. So TLT starts to break down again, the whole overall market could start to break down again too. Now, again, QQQ doesn't care as much as IWM, but if TLT starts to break down enough, all stocks will start to care. And then what do you think about, I mean, just this overall kind of, you know, trend, what the what the U.S. government's trying to do with the CHIPS Act and like bringing some of these manufacturing jobs back? I was thinking about this, like there's the, if this leads to thousands of, of new manufacturing jobs in the United States, is there a way to play that? Like, are there, are there other stocks? I think they're, it's mostly going to be in states like Arizona and Florida um states it seems like with good like tax incentives that they're building these new uh new factories in. and I, I don't know i was just trying to think like is there a way to play w what could be you know thousands of new 
really good paying jobs. Well, I mean, right there, GFS and Intel. Like, I mean, look who's getting these grants, you know? So look who the government's getting behind. So Intel is not official yet, though. Just to clarify here, there's rumors are going to get $10 billion, but I don't think we have an official announcement there. GFS official announcement there. But, you know, these are obvious, you know, plays here. And the market is, you know, rewarding these couple of stocks here for that reason. I don't know. It doesn't move the needle. Can we move the needle? You know, can we get away from Taiwan Semiconductor? You know, get away from foreign chips here? I'm not sure that's the case. Obviously, you even got from a chips perspective, the, the big mega caps are, you know, looking at producing their own chips too. So we know chips are going to be in everything. This is going to be, you know, the demand for chips are not going away. It's just a matter of where we're getting them. Yeah, PKPK is saying construction. Maybe we look for companies that do like housing construction in the areas that these new factories are going in and start uh looking at those maybe that'd be a kind of is it big enough to move that needle though that's my question i guess i would i would would, i'll have to see look into the data and see if because if it's like a new i mean you see sometimes these like new towns get built around new factories i don't know if it's that big or not but i was i'll look into it and see if it's you know going to be ten thousand new jobs in some little town in arizona then maybe i don't know we'll see good for that little town in arizona i'm just not sure moves the needle on like let's go buy you know construction let's go buy leonard no but if there was a smaller publicly Traded company that like only service that market, then maybe. Um, all right, gonna check. Uh, uh, let's see. In the oh, uh, Paul's asking about ASML. That's another one I was looking at, Dennis. That hadn't really ran a lot. Yeah. With uh, I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. up. I might be trading at all time highs, but it's not like you know fifty percent above its all time highs. It's yeah. barely above its all time highs. Um, and, and and applied materials. He was asking about that one too, and it's interesting. On Friday, they reported oh, yeah. earnings. We haven't talked about and, it and yet. and it had the gap up, but it closed kind of weak. So just keep an eye. You don't want to ever see that weak close, and you don't want to see the previous day's low get breached because then you start thinking about a gap fill. So one ninety seven thirty was Friday's low. It feels like ages ago since the holiday. But the gap would be all the way down to one eighty nine forty seven. So you're talking about an eight point gap in the charts there, and gaps do tend to fill. So again, that gap here, then you get worried that it could fill. So I'd be a little cautious chasing. I think I'm just cautious chasing all the chips here now. They've all had pretty good runs. There was some profit taking on Friday, you know, especially you know SMCI, you know, which is its own animal, and you know that was. But you know, does that you know turning event slow this all down? Maybe for a day or two. It's all going to matter about Wednesday night though. I mean, so we can, you know, look today, we can look tomorrow during the day, but really when it comes to Wednesday night, it's going to be NVIDIA and that's going to dictate the next move for a lot of these stocks. Can NVIDIA come in and blow it away enough to continue to go higher or does it disappoint? I think either way they're beating, it's a matter of how big the beat is. That's what's going to matter for all the chip stocks. Yeah, and I mean, like the aim, uh, the applied materials earnings last week. That was kind of like you said. I mean, it, it, it's not necessarily scary, but seeing how it got all the way up to to what like two fifteen pre market, uh, and then closed below two hundred. Wait, my thing's not showing two fifteen, but it got up there two twelve. I want to say it was. Uh, again, pre market. Not oh, that's probably why it's not showing because it got higher pre market than it did in the regular session. Um, but clearly, I mean, traders there, you know, it, they, they were taking profits on applied materials. It wasn't like the follow through that we saw on SMCI or some of these other chip stocks where they gave good earnings. They got the pop and then the market opened. They just continued running. It was the opposite where applied materials got the pop. Then you had the sell off uh, and people were bombing out on it. Classic uh, buyer exhaustion and a lot of stuff. You know, we we're chasing and there was some buyer exhaustion and there's buyer exhaustion in NVIDIA to a certain extent here, too. So, but again, it's going to be fundamentals. You can't even talk technicals on NVIDIA here 
you know, 48 hours before, not even 36 hours before it's going to report earnings because all that's going to matter is that earnings report. So it's hard to talk technicals on the chips ahead of the NVIDIA report. And that will be, I mean, like I, there's other economic data coming out this week. There's leading indicators this morning, all these things. But NVIDIA's earnings, I feel like, will be the biggest Everything. driver Everything. of the week, especially in the tech market. I mean, maybe it won't move the Dow stocks, whether you're looking at like the banks and the energy stocks as much. But everything in the tech sector from Apple to Microsoft to SMCI, Everything. NVIDIA's earnings. And it's also like the, correct me if I'm wrong, like the, the last big earnings report uh, in the tech sector for this cycle. From the mega caps, yes. Um, it's the last one. It always is the last one to report. But there are some other big companies reporting this week, you know, and we could preview a couple of those. We got Red yeah. Dog coming in here in a minute. Uh, PANW is going to report tonight. A lot of people are going to be looking at that report. We've got Rivian, which is a fun stock that retail traders like trade. Etsy's going to report. We got Square going to report on Thursday. Intuit's going to report on Thursday. Wayfair, another retail love stock. Carvana's going to report. So there's some names, you know, that are interesting, but nothing that's going to move the needle like NVIDIA. Yeah, we also had uh, Barclays report this morning. So uh, I'll pull up those numbers real quick. That's a big pop. I don't think anybody cares really too much. Well, I was going to see if we could take anything about like the overall banking sector, but probably not because it's not an American bank. And the, you know, the issues we were seeing with New York Bank Corps and stuff like that. I mean, I think that's what people are more concerned about with the regional banks. So Barclays probably won't give us that much insight into uh into things like that but yeah i've got the calendar pulled up right here as you can see um i mean yeah let's just, I, some I, names I, on there yeah the nvidia one stands out like a sore thumb though i mean you look at these names and you're like middle mid caps mid caps all over the place some retail darlings but nothing stands out like nvidia it's going to be huge walmart stood out but we just got the walmart report and walmart if you just want an update continues to move higher is now up four percent here so buyers coming in walmart Again, overall market weakness doesn't hurt Walmart because it's often a defensive trade. So I think actually on a day that the market's down, it's not bad that Walmart comes and guide, you know, and has comes up for decent guidance and obviously beats earnings. It's it's a right day for Walmart to report. Sometimes on a down day, if you're a, you're a Momo stock, you don't want a down day when you're reporting. Walmart's kind of the opposite because it's more of a defensive name. Yeah, and that Walmart report, I feel like that's just like a classic report for Walmart. You know, beat revenue estimates by by a little bit. EPS beat. They they announced they announced that small Vizio acquisition, but again, that's a two yeah. billion dollar acquisition. That's nothing yeah. for Walmart. So you're not going to see that same like what we were talking about with Capital One and Discover that the company that's doing the acquiring often gets hit because they're using all this stock and stuff. But for Walmart, for such a small acquisition, you're not going to see that same effect. And it's uh, all I, cash. And it's all cash. So, all right, it is 8.35 a.m. Eastern. That means it's time to bring on Red Dog, uh, Scott Redler from T3 Trading. Without further ado, let's give him our little pre-market prep. Welcome and see what Scott's been trading. Scott, welcome back to pre-market prep. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Hopefully you guys had a good restful holiday. It's always good when you have a long weekend and the market's closed, right? Because sometimes you go on vacation, the market's, you know, not closed. You have one eye on the market, one eye off. So I feel like, uh, you know, yesterday was a good day to kind of rest, relax, get prepped for this week. So I'm, I'm happy that you have me today because so it could be another busy one where some people are pointing to like a crazy inflection point, but might be too early to call that. Scott, on the long weekends, do you still like, you know, when Sunday night opens, are you keeping an eye on the futures or are you just like hands off, let's relax and not think about the markets? What do you do as a professional trader? Do you just try to like separate yourself on the nice long weekends from the markets? 
I try to, especially when the market's closed. I listen, I, I check with the futures where I still get some emails on what happened in, in overseas markets. I have like a China note that I get, I get a macro note. I skim them, but I'm not looking at like where the futures are all, you know, all day long. And I kind of know how things closed and I know what the, the narrative has been. So I'm just, you know, looking to see if there's any big narrative changing news you know, but I try and relax. You know, I went to visit my mom and dad this weekend in nice. Florida. So it was a nice family weekend. And I did reduce some risk late last week as on, on Friday. It kind of felt like uh, the, the fever broke a little bit in AI semis with the move with SMCI and then yeah. had tech a little weaker. So I didn't have as much to think about coming into today. Thank goodness. <laughs> Let's talk about SMCI and that move from Friday. And I saw your tweet and I saw some other tweets from other T3 traders. And it sounds like you guys were making some money on the short side on this thing, or at least some of the traders of T3 were. Um, I kind of felt it too. Like, it's funny, you know, we're all in the business and Scott, you've been in the business a long time and we've seen so many bubbles burst. I tweeted out when the stock it hit 1077, then it came down so violently to about 1010. It lost about 60 to 70 points there and felt like four minutes. I had just tweeted out that felt like the bubble pop. Did you guys feel like the same thing? Is that what you're looking for? Is that like violent, you know, candle coming down here, reversing and giving back and going red, you know, after an upgrade the day before? Is that what, what's the signal to like, you know, turn around and try the short side on stock like this? It, listen, I, like you just said, I've been doing this since 1998. And I also have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of prop traders that, Work in our associated, you know, their associated members of our BD. So I, I kind of can feel the sentiment when people have been fighting something for a few days. I tend to not fight a strong stock, but I do have a little bit of a knack where we get close. I could kind of feel when we're almost there. So yeah. what I did on Thursday, which thank goodness I started late in the day. Okay, yeah. I bought some nine hundred dollar puts, thinking that maybe we would reverse late Thursday, and we didn't. And then into the close, I sold 1140 and 1160 calls thinking, hey, you know, we hit 1,005. I'm not sure, I'm not selling, you know, the 1,000 or 1,050 calls for 30, 40, 50 dollars. I'm like, yeah, I could sell the 1,000, 1140s for, for six, the 1160s for eight. But, you know, when the stock was up 40, you know, pre-market, I, I was having to role play in my head. What happens if this goes to 1,200 first? You know, what happens if those... You know, all of a sudden I, I'm locked out of my options account because I sold a lot of these things and they're now 50, 60. So anyway, um, I did tweet out also pre-market like 920 saying, listen, to me, this is now parabolic. These things don't end well. At least don't chase it here. And I didn't say, you know, in the chart, it showed what I was short and I puts, but I didn't want to tell anyone what to do. I just wanted to be like, listen, it's not the right, the smartest place to buy. But then you didn't even have to do what I did. Like you said, you kind of felt the fever break when all of a sudden the market made a move. And then, you know, SMCI all of a sudden had a potent move down from like, you know, 1070 down to like 1025 like that. So for the first time, the sellers were able to really break price. And then it couldn't get its footing again. And then it broke 1005 to create like that red dog reversal sell. If you drew a line above Thursday's high, then it was calculated. You could have shorted then versus the 1077. You didn't have to try and anticipate, which I, I did lose some sleep Thursday night anticipating. <laughs> I did, I'll be honest. And that's why, you know, I was so happy to make my money back in the puts. And all of a sudden I shorted a little bit more Friday. Like those calls that I sold for like three or four, were like 750, the other ones were 10. And then when the fever broke, you could just tell that was it. So when you tweeted the fever broke, you know, that was the real spot to do it and lace into it. You can anticipate to be there, but like you really want the clue. Otherwise, 
there were those who started doing it on Tuesday and they probably got stopped out on Thursday and then they got the move they wanted on Friday and they lost a oh, ton God. of money versus making a lot. And that's why we talk about the, the fine line in trading between losing a little and losing a lot or making a little or making a lot. I did okay on Friday, but those puts that I bought for $15 and I averaged down on the close on Thursday for two, they went to 200. That's crazy. You met yeah. crazy. Sorry, go ahead, Dennis. No, I was just going to say, I heard multiple traders talking about the two, $3 puts and going to, like you said, like a hundred or $200 because Ooh, wow. taking off a 1077, those 900 puts were basically almost worthless. Yeah. And then they started going and they started blasting off an incredible, you know, the, the violent turnoff. We haven't seen a turn. I haven't seen a, like a turn that violent, like a stock selling off 200 points in 15 minutes in a very long time. Well, you know, yeah, I, I remember I experienced the same thing with Tesla and Tesla was like at 900 or a thousand. The first time I went through a thousand, I was selling the $1,100 calls or $1,200 calls. I've done that before. So some people are like, you know, Red Dog, you should never sell premium. Like I will never sell premium into an earnings report or a binary event. But when like there was no binary event last week and it was so extended that there wasn't, yeah. you know, I felt like I could do it. I, I just did it in a way that I thought, you know, giving it room. So you know, Tesla did that back in the day the same way, you know, GME did that one time, you know, back in the day, AMC did it. And I've, I've probably been in that position like four or five times where, you know, one time I lost a lot. I lost AMC. I just, you know, I started too early when the stock was 40, went to 65. And I just, you know, I wound up losing a lot of money there. Um, so, but I, but if someone would have hit me over the head with that AMC move, I would have made six figures instead of losing a lot. All I needed was a few more hours. But um, anyway, you know, this type of move happens and everyone's, you know, always so focused on it because, it, again, it's like a, it, it's a lotto type play. Listen, you're not going to make a living with lotto type plays and you could get your butt kicked. But every now and then, you know, you get this kind of setup and every, it's like it's like being in a casino. You ever see a huge crowd around a roulette table? Like yeah. what are they doing there? There's been like 14 blacks in a row. So everyone's mortgaging the house that the red has to happen. Got to be red. Yeah. Got to be red. Like, I think the record is like five blacks. You're, you're like, you know, you, 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 you can see in the back of that person's head, but you're like, oh, I'm at 14 blacks. I could take pain for two more. Well, that was Thursday into Friday. So Scott, uh, you mentioned the, the red dog reversal there. Say this thing reverses to the upside. Is there anything that would get you, you know, playing this on the long side this week? And then uh, another quick question I saw in the chat with someone was asking, how long do you go out for the options? Were you trading the weeklies? Yeah, I was, I was trading for Friday. I, okay. I so you, you were all, you, it was just no, no time. It was, this was going to happen now or never. Yeah. Well, selling the premium, the puts, I would have rolled out another week. Okay. So if you go like to here, let me just do, um, yeah, you can share so, your screen if you want. Oh, so let's see. Did it share? Did it? Did it yep. share? Popping it up. So it's very similar. So, um, yeah. Crazy. Listen, guys have been playing this thing long. You know, T three for a while. I got to give you know props to 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 you know David Prince and and Epic Trades and they 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 were on this prior to this big breakout of the channel. You know, here yeah. here is here is that channel when when they pre announced you know their earnings and they even had a chance to buy it. And then you had a bull flag here. Then it was above the eight day the entire time, which is part of my thesis. When a momentum name's above the eight day, you try not to short it. You try and ride it. But then it gets to a point where you're like, all right, now it's really extended from the eight day. So yeah. anyway, um, so today I was thinking maybe I could come in and I could, you know, I could look for a red to green trade. I came in, I did my 630 club. At, at, I know this was down 20. And then all of a sudden now someone put a, like a $12, $13 price target and it's already up 24. So 
it kind of took the trade away where I thought maybe, you know, from the thousand five here, we could play it down 20 to up 20, which is a nice cash flow trade for a guy like me or anyone out there. But now, now that it's up 25, they kind of took this trade away this morning, but doesn't mean you could just short it because of that bearish spar. So I would say, hey, you know, you look at 885 to 917, if it were to get to there, you know, maybe that's a better sell setup. But right now it's in a little bit of no man's land where I, you, I don't think you could buy it up 24, but you can't short it up 24. If it was down 24, maybe I would have looked to been long at this morning. So now what I'm looking at to see is, is the group going to go green? You have SMCI up 23, you have AMD down mm -hmm. two, you have NVIDIA down six. Okay, so this is what I kind of line up. And then to say you have arms, you want to connect the dots of a group, the sure. arms down six. So will, if this goes from, you know, up opens up and goes up another 20, will that, you know, will these things go right to green? So I'll look at those for a trade today, knowing that it might be tricky with institutions squaring things up because NVIDIA is tomorrow. So sometimes things don't play by the, the normal rules when you have billion dollar funds having to do certain things prior to a print. But, you know, we'll see if this goes up 24 and goes right again, chances are the arm that's down six could be down nine and NVIDIA that's down five, et cetera. Or, or this continues and squeezes up to 880 and, and then these things go from red to green and we make some money this morning. So if then, then that, if that, then this. Is <laughs> Almost a, choose, a choose your own adventure. We got to see what happens first and then we'll be able to, uh, to, to see uh, if those other names are going to follow along with SMCI. Are there any names outside the chip space that you're watching? Well, Scott, before he leaves, I, I want to get his thoughts. He's already got, before you leave the chip space, Aaron, I got to get his thoughts on it. He's got a nice chart up here right now. And Let's I want it. to know how Scott's playing this, if he's playing this into the earnings or if you're just sitting on the sidelines or if you're playing it ahead of the earnings. How are you looking at NVIDIA? I haven't done anything yet. And I'm going to see what today brings and I'll see where we are tomorrow afternoon. I'm not sure. You know, to me, the, the move that we all wanted from 505, the measured move happened and then some. You know, it's been a mm -hmm. great trade. They already gave you the trade that I didn't want to miss breaking above the channels prior. And the last two quarters, they were really strong and they still hit it. So it might have a great quarter and you could buy a call spread and you could lose or you could buy a put spread and lose. So I don't know exactly what I want to do yet here. I might just trade it after. Um, I want to see what happens today with the market. Do we absorb the weakness or is today a de-risking day ahead of tomorrow? So what's priced in, what's not. But for the actual day today, hey, NVIDIA is still above the eight day. It held the eight day here. And uh, maybe NVIDIA goes from red to green today and we can make some cash flow and then we can figure out you know, post earnings, does it get above and stay above 742, 746 to give you that other trade or not? So as of right now, I have nothing on for, for NVIDIA for Wednesday. I'm going to wait and see today tomorrow. If we didn't get that break in SMCI on Friday, chances are I probably would have, you know, put some puts on for that. But we already had that. So now I need to see where we are as of tomorrow to see, you know, if there's anything that actually even really makes sense to do. Yeah, and I'm... I'm curious with NVIDIA, I mean, you talked about how we've already had this huge move into it and it's probably, you know, some of it might be priced in. I mean, if NVIDIA reports a really good quarter, but maybe doesn't blow it out of the water, if it almost like ends up just kind of trading, I mean, the expected move right now with the options is like 10%. I could see a scenario where they report a good quarter and then it ends up trading pretty flat because it was already expected that they do report a good quarter. We've yeah. already ran up this much into it. Yeah, yeah. So there's not a, it's not a great setup. It's actually a better setup if it, if it underwhelms right, and, and people do a straddle and they put like a call spread and a put spread, or they just do some a lot of calls, a lot of puts, and you get a bigger move than the predicted move. And then traders make a lot of money. 
you know, or it's just really good, but not enough. And the option dealers win. So it might be a case where you're better off not, you know, flipping a coin and wasting money on options or just wait to see the report and the reaction the day after. So like you mentioned, like, what else am I looking at? You know, you do get some moves post earnings with that pro earnings gap setup that we talked about. So if we go just say like to like right now, I'm in Amazon. Amazon's been a pain in the butt. You know, mm. I, I also took it into earnings with an option play because I felt like there was room to the all time high. But since then, it's been trying to hold this post earnings gap. And every day there's a news that Jeff's selling shares, selling <laughs> shares, you know. But he's, he's not, weighing on the stock. I mean, it this envision like a six billion dollar seller every day, like that's got to hold a stock down. <laughs> well, he's got to be close, I think. Yeah. You know, because some yeah. someone like I don't remember the exact amount of shares. You guys might know that he filed to sell, and people are like, well, maybe he thinks there's something wrong. I'm like, no. Him and McKenzie own 18, 19 percent of the float. They sell it into good news when there's volume. But you know, all of a sudden, what seems to happen is he does into the good news, and then. He leans on it, then the market turns sour, and we go into a corrective phase. Everyone forgets, and the stock doesn't have a great tradable move. So for me, I'm still long Amazon. But if it were to break 165.75 and get into the earnings gap, then it could do whatever it wants, and I would be out of it. You know, so I'm playing it for it to hold the gap and continue, kind of like you know you saw that with Netflix. Netflix held the gap 537 and continued, then kind of held this gap and went up. So we're trying to gauge moves based on some pro earnings gap, even like, like Palatier did it. So at this point, it feels like, you know, a lot of people out there, a lot of people I respect are trying to say like, you know, seasonality wise, the next two weeks aren't great for the overall market. And after the move we've had from <laughs> December to, to where we are here, I want to be a little careful where I'm not too exposed. If we were to, you know, come in a few percentage points in the S and P and the Q's and, you know, if, if SMCI is a precursor to the way NVIDIA might, you know, trade, well, I'm not saying it will, then that could be, you know, the, the the catalyst for, you know, a little bit more downside over the next few weeks. Yeah, it'll just, I mean, everything's going to be kind of make or break for on, on NVIDIA's earnings later this week. Uh, overall market stuff, Scott, I mean, last week we had a couple hotter inflation numbers. Are you starting to get, you know, does that kind of scare you a little bit about just where we might be later in this year in terms of rate cuts or hikes, or are you more just focused on the on the super short-term trading action? No, I'm, I'm focused on everything. You know, in December, when they were talking about five rate cuts, I was like, how the hell are we going to do five rate cuts when the S&P is at an all-time high? It doesn't make any sense. So I wasn't going to be like, oh, I'm Mr. Economist slash, you know, Fed watcher. But I was like, that doesn't really make much sense. And then as they went from five rate cuts to three, the market didn't care. You know, the only people who cared were the people on TV. So I'm trying to figure out what affects what. Like, if you look at the IWM, <laughs> For a market that's that's not looking to cut five times anymore, if you were shorting the IWMs because of that, you didn't do so well. Yeah. So IWMs held in pretty well. So I'm going to see this, do the IWMs hold 199-ish and then create an upper channel to then trade better. I actually put on a, a call spread for the, the bios. If you look here at the bios, I think it's interesting. The XBI, which isn't as, obviously they're interest rate sensitive. You know, you have a cup and handle here. You had already a move up to the resistance area. So if this could hold 91.60 and it doesn't seem like the move to the downside in the overall indices get too violent, I feel like, look, this is the daily, look at the weekly. It seems like the weekly could could break above this area and I would think sees 105. So for me, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. So I went out three weeks and I put on um, a call spread. And then if it happens the way I like it actively, I'll, I'll buy it for if it can, can clear 
you know, this is actually 94, not 92. If it gets above and stays above that, I will actually buy the XBI and then I'll be long an actual call spread and the ETF. But while I'm waiting to figure out if it's going to happen, I'll just be in a call spread because I don't have to time it perfectly. But it seems like, you know, XBI has a little less risk than the IWM. They move together. So, you know, we need to see some more cooling and, uh, you know, so for, for this to work. So I'm, I do not, I'm not just not a, you know, an AI semiconductor trader or, or an Amazon or I, I look for things to do that I can put on, let the market make me money while I'm focused on my go-to list. Got Scott, it. Well, general question for you, just on trading. Um, you know, you're talking about so many different stocks and you have a lot of positions on. How many positions do you typically hold? Like let's say on average, you know, you're looking at like how many different positions would you have on average? It depends on the market. You know, right now I have less than I've had on for the last few weeks because of, you know, the CPI shook things up and then the PPI. So, you know, I, when, listen, when the, when, this, when the S&P is above the A in 21 day, which means the market's strong, means it's trending well, I try and have a portfolio approach, which I call it, which could be a lot of positions. If that sequence goes for multiple weeks, four, six, eight, all of a sudden, and, I'm not, and my, my names are just trending, I'll stay with them until they hurt me. You know, if we're below the A21 day and the market's acting sickly and it feels like now the S&P is below the A21 day for more than a day or two, which could happen this week, then I'll have a lot less positions and I'll just day trade a little bit more and make a little less, lose a little less and wait. So I'm out of harm's way. So I call that tactical approach. Yeah, so sure. above the A21 day in the Qs in the S&P or the S&P cash, I try and focus on the leaders and be in risk and use my tier system. Below, you know, I'm not a great short. I'll admit it. I just try and be out of the way. and test a few levels and make less and not, you know, and sleep more. <laughs> uh, Scott, do you mind telling me a little bit about your uh, super simple gap trading book? I know it's a free ebook. We've got the link in the description right now. Well, I, it, it's actually it's a perfect time to show it because in earnings season, what I do is I never take stock into earnings. Okay. What I'll do is I'll try and take an option play where risk is premium paid. If I think there's a good setup, like we just discussed with NVIDIA, I'm not sure if there's a good setup. But then post earnings, okay, if it's really strong, sometimes you get a really nice gap to be long against, like as you said, as a swing trader, and then it could continue with that trend and you have your defined risk. So there are ways um, to, to be in a stock post earnings with a plan. So this is the ebook where it goes over a lot of, the different types of moves that have happened because usually you look at past technical patterns and they typically repeat themselves just like the market because it's all based on emotions. So I could go through a few of the ones that have worked in the last few weeks and a few of the ones that we're looking at. So typically you get a big pro earnings move or pro and then you get a pro earnings gap. I mean, post earnings. And then that's your point of reference. There's your risk to find. Then you let it work out. And sometimes if it doesn't, then it's priced in. You lose a little bit and you get out of the way. So it's a way to make money calculated post earnings versus taking something into earnings that could be defined and make you money. Got it. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us on today's pre-market prep. Look forward to catching up uh, here in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Have a good uh, week and good luck to you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Always good to have Red Dog on again. That's thank you, T Trading. Really uh, T Trading's been sending us some great guests. So shout out to uh, T Trading. T Trading's an awesome firm. Like, there's so many good traders there. 
Um, all right, let me go ahead and pull my Benzinga Pro back up. I did see, I mean, I know we don't talk about crypto too much on this show, Dennis, but Bitcoin testing new highs this morning. So it's not everything is risk off. I mean, I when the market is closed, like for a long weekend, I do feel like I watch Bitcoin a little bit more just as kind of a proxy for risk and saying, okay, well, I mean, if yeah. Bitcoin's up 5% over the weekend or whatever, then that's showing you that at least some you know big players out there aren't, aren't scared about uh, buying some stuff right now. So Bitcoin... Up around 53,000. I mean, let's see how Coinbase is trading this morning. Up a little bit as well. I mean, Coinbase just had that incredible move last week. That's such a big move for Coinbase. Yeah, a lot of the miners have had really big moves here. So they're overextended as well. I mean, Mara sold off a little bit the last couple of days. We're talking about a stock that basically doubled in seven days. Went from $16 up to over $30. Just an incredible move there. The Coinbase move was nothing short of incredible either. Everybody hated it on February the 7th. And then here we are 13 days later and the stock, you know, not only gets all of the losses back, but plus more. So, you know, it was a big report for it too. It was a good report. Incredible moves for all the Bitcoin, all the Bitcoin miners and for Bitcoin itself. And I'm still long Bitcoin. I brought, bought some more a couple of weeks ago when it looked like it was a consolidation station and wanting to go higher. And that proved to be a good move as well. Wish I would have went along the, the miners though instead of the actual Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin went up nicely, but the miners really went up. The leverage play on Bitcoin. If I were Jerome Powell, which I'm not, he's a lot smarter than me and, you know, it's done a, a, a pretty decent job the past couple of years. Say what you want about what he did before then that got us to that inflation point. Um, I'd be watching Bitcoin because I'd be like, all right, well, you know, we can't cut if Bitcoin's at all, you know, at 60,000 at 70, you know, but if, uh, you know, he's probably not. But if I again, if I were him, I'd, I'd probably be watching that again, just as like a, ri a risk proxy being like, OK, people are obviously not. Uh, you know, five and a half percent interest rates are not deterring people from going out and buying Bitcoin out here. Probably the most speculative. Well, Bitcoin itself isn't the most speculative asset. We've talked about this, how in crypto now it's yeah. basically like the safe one. It's like, oh, Bitcoin's the, you know, Bitcoin's like buying gold now, basically. But these other crypto digital gold, that, they call it. Yeah. The other cryptos that are running, whether you're looking at ETH or like Dogecoin or some of these smaller ones, Shiba, it's like, yeah. okay, I mean, five, five and a half percent interest rates is nothing for these guys. I mean, um, are you, so you're, you're long Bitcoin, Dennis, but you don't yeah, really I've been long Bitcoin for a while. And I, like I said, I recently added to it just because I feel like it's just not going away. And I feel like we're inevitably, I feel like it's inevitable that we're going back to all-time highs eventually. We've come a long ways. What was the all-time high? Do you have the all-time high on Bitcoin? Was it like 67,000 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, let's, put, uh, let's say it's right around there. Let me go pull I feel it like it's up. right around 67. I feel like we've come this far and we've come all the way back from like 18 or something. I feel like we're eventually going up to test that all-time high. Whether I sell some there or not, I don't know. But right now, like that would be my target. Um, you know, and this is not a short-term trade. It's a longer-term trade. I don't think it's going there this week. I don't think it's going there next week. But I think over the course of the next, you know, year here, I think eventually Bitcoin is going to get a lift. I still don't love the regional bank situation. I mean, Bitcoin was created as an alternative to, you know, the financial markets that we currently have. And, you know, the regional banks are all, you know, obviously have issues that we've talked about before. And even though the KRE is starting to show some life and the IWM is starting to show some life, and that's good news, um, Bitcoin has just shown life through it all. 
So well, I mean, I, if, I feel if like Bitcoin, it's not going if, away. If Bitcoin started selling off this week, like, would you consider trimming, or you're just going to hold it until we? Because eventually, you think we're going back to those. I'm old not trimmers. overly concerned. It's not like I got 50 percent of my net worth in Bitcoin. Got it. I'm, you know me. My biggest weakness probably is I make really good calls, but I stay diversified. Right. You know, I never go all in. Like on SMCI, if I would have went 100% of my portfolio all in there, maybe I wouldn't even be talking to you right now, AB. I'd be retired on an island, but no, I didn't do that. I put, you know, a few, I put, you know, typically if I'm convicted on something, I might put three or 4% of my net worth into it or 5%. You know, I'm very diversified. Some points in time, I've owned as much as, you know, 100 different stocks in my long-term portfolio. Wow. So, but from a trading perspective, you know, I hit stuff harder. If I feel like it's a good trade in something, I'm not afraid to put more trading capital into something. I have two separate accounts again, trading account, a long-term investment account. The long-term investment account is always long and always stays diversified. It raises cash when it's concerned and it gets, you know, more aggressive when it's, you know, thinking we're in good, you know, a good market here. I think a little bit of this market is overextended, so I'm not, you know, hitting stuff really heavy here right now. But I feel like there hasn't really been a reason to sell my Bitcoin position here as of yet. Got it. Well, all right. Coming up on nine o'clock, I did see a couple people in the chat asking about Eli Lilly. Looks like we're trading at new all-time highs, which seems like uh, we've been saying that a lot about Eli Lilly recently. No company-specific news, uh, but a big day on Friday. Closed up 3% yeah. again on a down day. Up another nine-tenths of a percent this morning, which is seven bucks for Eli Lilly now. I mean... Anytime your stock's making a seven buck pre-market move and that's not even 1%, it shows how big the stock has gotten. Um, are you- I'm a little bit surprised that Lily didn't show any weakness on the SMCI pop. And it has nothing to do with SMCI, but you know they have been trading as Momo stocks, You know where Lily goes up every day and SMCI guy goes up every day and NVIDIA goes up every day. I'm kind of surprised that Lily just shrugged it off and didn't seem to care whatsoever. Because Lilly has had a pretty extended move too. As a pharmaceutical company, I know this drug may be the biggest drug ever. And I know the, the potential here. But, you know, it's not a cheap stock. And it is trading like a Momo stock. Got to watch. Like, I group it in with the Momo stocks. And in some days when Momo was having a rough day, you know, a, a few weeks ago, Lilly would sell off with some of the Momo stocks too. But it had none of it on Friday. It didn't care about SMCI. And it's just marching. You know, it feels like uh, it feels like Lily's going to go to 800. I mean, we're close enough now. We're probably going to want to try to crack that eight. But is there a potential, you know, crack the eight and then pull back through it? Maybe. I don't think I'd be chasing Lily here. Yeah. I mean, like you said, anytime we talked about this with SMCI, just sometimes you get these moves a little bit too, too much, too quick. But, you, you know, it's not probably not the same. You haven't seen the same parabolic move. But I mean, just looking at this chart, yeah. this thing has now gone from five, 570 at the beginning of the year in January. In less than two months, it's gone from 570 to 770 and now up to almost up to 800. So, yeah. We'll have to keep watching Eli Lilly. See. You're chasing a bit if you're buying it up here at this oh, point. I, I, I agree 100%. All right, Dennis. Well, did we miss any big headlines this morning? I mean, we're coming up uh, again a little couple minutes past, but All that's right. okay. I mean, I think we've. Yeah, like, I mean, obviously, you know, we had, you know, a number of other companies that reported here. Medtronic reported, and they're trading up slightly. We had actually Rig report, I believe, yesterday, if you want to look at, you know, who's reporting on President's Day there. Uh, tonight, we just got some big reports, and I, I don't know if I have time to preview them all, but Palo Alto Networks is a big one, PANW, Toll Brothers, so we get a little more feel for the home builders there. Um, Fang reports, if you're interested, obviously, in the energy stocks, it's a big one that's widely followed. And then this one's interesting is Solar Edge, because ENPH has had that rally 
where the earnings weren't that great, but it was just, you know, as much as we had buyer exhaustion on SMCI, we had seller exhaustion on a lot of other stocks too. And maybe ENPH had seller exhaustion that they were going to say anything good, the stock was going to pop on it. And ENPH popped, you know, over $30 from where it was trading prior earnings. So now you got SEDG. Can SEDG do something similar where it pops up 10, 15 points if they say anything okay? And remember, nothing is more interest rate sensitive than these solar stocks here. So if we actually do go into an environment where we're going to start to get some interest rate cuts, some of these solar stocks could actually start to outperform. But you know, now that they've kicked the can down the road to May or June for the cuts, this will be an interesting report tonight. I'll be watching it closely, SEDG. Yeah, and I think Solar Edge also had some like, like I think they're, they fired their CFO this quarter uh some 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 stuff going on at the company so maybe we'll get some more insights uh on that uh all right dennis well tomorrow we'll be talking to martha stokes from technotrader excited to catch up with oh, martha nice. uh till then guys we've got live trading starting right after this so make sure to stay tuned the redirect will set you there and then uh yeah i mean everyone have a great day trading stay green and we'll see you guys tomorrow morning thanks everyone